Hello everyone. I hope you are doing well. We are back with another episode of Blitz Business. I hope you will enjoy this podcast. Hi Vino, thank you so much for coming over Blitz Business. It's a pleasure to have you. Well, it's a pleasure to be on here. Um as I mentioned before, I've been a fan of the work you've been doing and the types of entrepreneurs and really the different stories you've been sharing. So, uh I'm I'm honored to be here to be able to share my story to an audience that I normally don't get to speak to and and that you've been able to help out so far since uh the since you started this endeavor. Wonderful, wonderful. So, uh let's get started. So, Vino, tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll touch upon uh about on your venture. Yeah, definitely. So, I guess the story of myself kind of gets attached with my co-founder and identical twin brother uh, Vijay. So, uh for us early on in in life when we first came to Canada, uh you know, like most people from uh, immigrant families, we were very focused on uh trying to really set us up for the future and um at an early age just had a lot of great opportunities to learn from smart people and surround myself uh with people who were thinking very differently and and that really got us uh both interested in the world of entrepreneurship and just entrepreneurial thinking I think at that time um and you know from that going onward into university uh, I found it was very hard to to shake off some of the experiences I was having early on and um as a ma- and as a matter of that fact uh, had the opportunity to then uh, leave school a bit earlier and drop out and uh, join uh, a very big company or soon to be very big company at the time Facebook in 2012 before it went public uh and really got my feet wet in the world of entrepreneurship by being uh I'd say an entrepreneur on the sidelines or not even maybe an entrepreneur is the right word to use and you know just constantly using my early 20s for understanding more about how these businesses were being built how really the dynamic of the world was changing over the next 5 to 10 years and being able to watch it from the sidelines and seeing how it impacted um a lot of things like consumer product is what brought me to to start my business today wow and what was the motivation for you to start uh Cabo. Yeah, so for myself it, it really came back to um what my brother and I were doing at Facebook. So when we joined it was the very early days. Um you know, I like to put it in context where page likes were really the motivation uh, in uh, in 2012 <laughs> and and people weren't as big fans of Facebook and you know, I always say it's kind of come full circle now because people aren't big fans of Facebook as many, as much anymore due to privacy and some growing concerns about the platform, but uh what we really were able to take away was something that was extremely invaluable and that was our interest towards um learning that consumer product can impact so many people and actually change lives and you know we got a great exposure to b2b businesses saas and tech and really loved the the ability to scale there of course and and be able to move fast but what was really interesting was that i always started working with a lot more e-commerce and d2c businesses um early on just as like a really junior hire in the back of a room and listening and watching to see how you know razors were being put in a box and shipped to someone's door was phenomenally like mind blowing for me and as a 21 year old who dropped out of school uh, you know after those meetings I'd literally ask these founders and say hey can I go to your warehouse and see how this works because it was 
just mind blowing for me because where I'm from in Canada, it's, you know, you have to get like a key to open up this glass door to get a razor. And here there were this, these companies that were taking these consumer products that impact people's lives on a day-to-day basis and making it easier for people to um, have access to it, uh, making it better or cheaper or, or what, what have you. And it was becoming easier because of platforms like Facebook that allowed you to reach, you know, millions of people. Um, Platforms like Shopify allowed you to have an infrastructure um, that didn't require a lot of development in the beginning. Um, And these obstacles really inspired my brother and I to start thinking and saying, you know, what are we going to do for the next 10 years of our life from learning about a lot of this e-commerce and retail experience? Um, And and, and that's what really got us started to think about you know, what we wanted to build. And as we were kind of going through this process, we were also tangentially going through the process of being dog parents for the first time. Um, you know, we've always begged our parents to to have pets and, you know, uh, <laughs> them being from Sri Lanka, typically in, in Jaffna, like uh, our, our, our dad's dog was the community dog. It's the dog that would go from house to house and they would have like rice and yogurt or, or curry as their meals. And uh, and that would be, you know, the sense of what a pet is. And, uh, you know, here in the, you know, going to the westernized side of things in, in Canada, uh, we were really infatuated with, um, you know, how pets were a part of people's families. And, and you know, because we would be spending a lot of time at home. Uh, and although I had a twin brother, we still wanted another companion. And although we didn't get it at an earlier age, uh, once we did have that opportunity to work at Facebook and have the financial means, we were able to adopt our first dog with our our good friend and roommate at the time. And um, that really showed us that there was this huge issue around how misguided the experience was when it came to raising a dog. And when we got our first dog, Cabo, uh, whom we named the company after, we realized that, you know, as a chow chow, um, you know, she was uh, a bit older when we got her. And over time, one of the issues that we realized was that you know, she was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And unfortunately, when we had to say goodbye, um, the, the vet really came to us and said something like, um, you know, how did you not expect this in a way? Right. And I was like baffled at that saying, you know, how are we supposed to expect stomach cancer? <laughs> right. It's mm. not like we do the equivalent for humans and saying, OK, because I'm Sri Lankan right. at the age of 56, I'm going to get this right. Our mm. genetics are too diverse in that sense. So when we started d- digging in a bit more, that's when we realized that the, the whole experience was extremely misguided in the sense that when we went out and got food um, from a retail store or even Amazon, the brand doesn't actually know who the end consumer is. Right. They know who I am. They know my credit card information. They know maybe where I live, my demographic information. But that's not as important as the pet's data. And that's where we started to dig in a bit more and realize that, you know, by providing um, healthier food based around the data of the actual pet, we can create a customized experience for the pet, but in a scalable manner that actually solves that, that issue of, you know, what do I feed my pet? based on the information of my breed or the lifestyle I have, if I live in an apartment or in a house um, and make it as simple as possible for them to not only select a healthy diet that's best for their dog, but uh, a diet and a solution that would make it easier for them on this day-to-day ritual of feeding your dog. And, and really that's where those two experiences came together where you know, from being at Facebook, we saw a lot of strong direct-to-consumer and consumer product businesses focus on a very repeatable aspect of the business. So uh, that really was able to build trust amongst consumers. 
uh, and then take that to start to realize, you know, how can we add more value in their lives as they continue to engage with our brand? Uh, and then going through this experience ourselves, we realized that, yes, there's three rituals you have with a dog, which is, you know, you're feeding them every day, um, you're walking them every day, or you're picking up their poop every day. And <laughs> we, we realized that food was, you know, the more we dived into the science, the food was the opportunity to really build that trust on a daily basis, solve a lot of core health issues, uh, and then use that as an opportunity to provide more information and education to those pet parents to say, hey, you know, your dog's turning four years old today. Um, maybe you should start planning or thinking about how are you going to be managing some of these degenerative diseases that we know are very prone to your dog. And maybe the answer isn't, you know, fully uh, an end-all solution to end stomach cancer, but it's great to know ahead of time that, you know, maybe you should get pet insurance or um, you should start seeing a vet more proactively uh, because your your dog's not going to tell you that information. So that's mm -hmm. really how Cabo started off and, and, and got us going was this, this need to solve the issue of, uh, of being able to provide a guided experience to raising your pet and using food as that mechanism um, to, to create a starting point. Wonderful. So let's let's dive a little bit deeper onto the business side of it. So uh, how does it work? Do you have your own uh, manufacturing setup where you, uh, like how does the supply chain look like currently at Cabo? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, in the early days, I'll tell you that uh, we were definitely doing everything ourselves. Like um, our, our dogs were definitely the, the first uh, taste testers and um, users of our product. And we were essentially cooking in our in our own kitchen. Um, just trying to understand the process and uh, slowly realizing that, you know, our dogs were eating better than us. And it took like eight hours to cook our dogs food. And you know, I'd be eating food out of a can and the role would be reversed. Uh, you know, we really focused on thinking about how we can take something that is very hard to do at home and takes a lot of time and, and be able to scale it. So we work with a lot of um, manufacturing partners across Canada uh, to ensure that we take our recipes and our formulations that's created by our scientists uh, um, in-house and we put it through a uh, essentially a testing kitchen where we're able to then produce small batch samples we tend to, we send it in for lab testing to make sure there's things like microbial analysis done or guaranteed analysis because we want to make sure that there's enough nutrients and and vitamins and minerals that uh, meet the requirements for that dog at that life stage and once it's done at that Piece, we're then able to take the standard of procedures and, and pass it along and, and teach our manufacturing partners um, essentially how they can start doing this at a larger scale uh, and, and take on you know, the development of a new recipe, for instance. Once that's been able to uh, be formulated and adopted and, and created, then it's really about the fulfillment experience, which is one of the most exp important experiences as part of the business um, is how the customer receives their order and when they receive it. In this day and age of, you know, receiving everything within two hours, it's very important to make sure that you create an experience that uh, is, is is dependable and consistent. And um, in order to do that, we have our own fulfillment centers that are located across Canada that allow us to distribute across majority of the country um, and ensure that we can provide that food on a consistent basis. It's almost similar to if you were to have, a, 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 you know, a meal kit or a ready to eat meal subscription that you're very dependent on. It's very similar to you and your dog. So you want to make sure that you don't run out of your dog's food and that it arrives safely and it's um, uh, you know, completely ready to go and um, consistent enough that you can 
um, essentially depend on this service on an ongoing basis. So when we look at that supply chain, it's really broken down into not only the production aspect, but really bigger, um, heavier focus even onto the way we distribute that product directly to our consumer. Interesting. And uh, how does it work in terms of your sales channel? Are you currently focused more on like online retail? Do you have retail outlets? Uh, how, how does currently it work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so right now we're 100% um, online, direct to consumer. So the way consumers uh, hear about us is um, either through our organic marketing efforts or um, let's say our paid advertising. They slowly get to learn more about the brand, uh, maybe read some reviews. They then come on to cabo.co where they uh, enter in information about their pet. Once they do that and, and select the recipes and the frequency of delivery, we directly ship to that consumer on a reoccurring basis that makes sense for them. They are then able to manage their subscription uh, through our platform or even reach out to our uh, customer happiness team um, to make any adjustments or to learn more about how they can optimize their diet or or answer any questions that they have. Um, And and that's really the end-to-end experience. We're primarily online and we think it's our, uh, you know, by doing that, it's allowed our business to grow very fast and adapt to even something like the pandemic that's you know forced a lot of people to be at home and depend more on delivery-based systems, um, which make our solution more turnkey and adaptable for that type of environment. So is it is it uh, your offerings are, is it in terms of breed-specific uh, diet plans or is it like, how does it work? Yeah, that's a great question. So when when they come in, what they're what the first thing that a consumer is required to do is enter in information about their pet. So everything from the breed to activity level, weight, um, and dietary restrictions are used, and and our algorithm essentially calculates the calories that dog needs at a given life stage. So we use you know the base standards that normally a veterinarian would use, and essentially put it into our our, our calculation here so that we can figure out. Um, this is the right number of portions that this dog needs so that we tackle one of the biggest issues, which is overfeeding. Um, And then based on that, then the consumer essentially receives like this selection of recipes. And the experience is actually something that's not completely new um, when in comparison to like meal kit or ready to eat meals. um, You know, when you're kind of selecting those type of subscription experiences, you're choosing, you know, will I have penne pasta one week or will I have uh, turkey the next week? Um, and, you know, similarly for us, the consumer is really choosing between, you know, maybe a freshly cooked uh, human grade beef recipe um, and then maybe a combination of uh, some dry shelf stable fresh kibble as well. Uh, and by having that flexibility, that consumer is able to select those and then they receive it on a reoccurring basis. They, you know, have the option of creating more diet variability. And we see this amongst a group of cohorts where, Maybe they want to switch it up and go from beef to chicken or um, add uh, go from freshly cooked food to uh, dry uh, fresh uh, kibble. And we allow consumers to find whatever behavior works best for them and really be able to adapt that platform so that they can pick and choose. But regardless of their choice, our job is to make sure that that food is safe, they can trust it. Um, and then it's the right quantity and allocation that they need for that dog at that given life stage. So I think I can um, uh, correlate with this particular thing because uh, one of my friends has a dog and 
it turned out the dog was domesticated so much it, the dog was not eating like chicken and whatever different different items and uh, the dog was eating uh, yeah. uh, etc and it developed sort of symptoms skin different different symptoms and mm-hmm. you know the recommendation came please uh, don't give him much any more curd or parathas or you know <laughs> yeah yeah that that could definitely add to uh some of the overeating problems and i think it's hard for people to to know the the impact that makes right and yes. it's it's so interesting to see that the biggest health issue with pets is uh obesity like over 60% in north america are obese i think that trend probably sits towards the 60 70% globally but like let's look at humans it's almost the same exact issue we have as humans right like it, it's so interesting seeing this humanization of pets like a lot of our you know trends of what we want in ourselves is going to our pets but also a lot of the things that we do poorly is also reflecting on them which is you know overfeeding them or or giving them these table scraps and and usually it's because you know the meal time for dogs and cats and and pets in general have not been fun right like you dump this like mm-hmm you get this bag it's kind of like you know smells a little bit in your house and and you're scooping it out and and it doesn't look enjoyable and they're eating the same thing every day you want to make meal time just as enjoyable for yourself as it is for your pets so i you know people i understand why people do that and and give their dogs you know the the chicken or the curd or the couple parathas and you know every time i i leave my dog with my with my parents um you know they, they they fight that urge to feed them like they they stuff me right so i understand where people come from and by you know i think what we offer is that experience to say okay if you want to create these enjoyable moments it's definitely possible because one of the unique things about cabo that you know you don't get to see on the front end of things is once you're a subscriber we actually do limited edition um product releases so around holidays mm-hmm. for instance like thanksgiving we did a thanksgiving topper so it was a special edition turkey recipe and when we did it we had such an overwhelming amount of um uh, buy in from our subscribers it became one of our core recipes that we now offer um and you know our product development and r&d team is constantly looking at the pet data we have and talking to our consumers to say what are some other products that are going to be valuable for them um as they uh kind of go through these like uh you know seasonal events that they want to share with their dogs and with valentine's day coming up one of the fun things that we're working on is this uh, uh adorable and fun way of enjoying valentine's day quarantined at home with your dog uh, so we're <laughs> you know we're excited to create these moments of happiness which not only add value to them and kind of allow them to do those like moments of 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 indulgence with their pet whether it's giving them a treat but they know it's trustworthy and safe um and at the same time you know w- with pet parents and and uh and people in general we love to share this stuff online so we find it's actually a great organic marketing tool as well and when customers reach out to us about let's say our our dog ice cream that we do on national ice cream day every july or if it's you know these seasonal ones like our holiday ham or or thanksgiving toppers um we get to have our customers be our marketers for us and in turn you know they get to share and say hey listen i'm still indulging with my pet but in a safe and trustworthy way that's manageable um and then you know we get a influx of prospective customers saying hey i want to buy your ice cream or or maybe your treats and our response is always that you know in order to get access to those things you really need to be a subscriber of our community so that we know what's right to recommend to your pet mhm i mean uh, definitely you know i think it's 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 a a very uh, promising market and there is definitely 
uh, you have identified the problem area for sure. Uh, uh, and yeah, I think all the pet parents around the world, I think all have the same problems. Every <laughs> each, us, the, or each of the pet parents have overweight dogs, cats or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> exactly. so, so uh, uh, tell us, you know, a little bit about uh, uh, what are your crucial business KPIs that you currently, uh, you know, you want to share or which are very crucial for your business in terms of user acquisition costs. Assuming, I mean, what I have experienced in a D2C market, uh, selling online versus offline, I mean, ultimately at, at the end of the day, the costs just add up and they are almost same, right? So mm-hmm. how does, uh, and in your business, things looks like if you want to share any KPIs? Yeah, definitely. So I think uh, the funny part is my brother and I have probably managed over well over $100 million of ad spend in, in our past history. But uh, I always say that, uh, you know, we fear paid acquisition like the devil. And the reason is, is because it's not really, um, you know, a healthy way to completely build a business, right? So as you're talking about cost per acquisition growing over time, what's really interesting is like when you're doing advertising or any marketing um, job as a direct-to-consumer business or a consumer product business, your one goal is to drive trust. So for us, we're always thinking, you know, what is the most scalable way to do this? Um, and that in turn will you know, affect bringing down cost per acquisition. Um, and most importantly, where we actually focused on as a business in our first two years wasn't, you know, how do we just skyrocket new customer growth? We actually just focused a lot on retention. And retention is really our, our number one driver. Uh, and when we look at our, our uh, essentially our annual reoccurring revenue number, that number kind of tells us the health of the business. We know that if we're at uh, if we're growing our annual recurring revenue, and at this point we've surpassed 2.5 million in annual recurring revenue, um, and 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 done a lot of that really over the past 12 months, and doing that you know in turn tells us that you know customers are coming back, and what that means is the product is working, uh, and that what that means as well is that the business is healthy and in the direction where where at a time when cost per acquisition does increase when we do start offering more um, channels like retail um, or, or delivery apps, then we have that room to understand that the lifetime value is actually what we're working with when we're looking at comparing that cost per acquisition so that we have that three to one ratio of uh, you know a strong lifetime value towards the cost per acquisition being spent to acquire that customer and then the cost required to keep them as well. So that level of diligence early on has allowed us to build a very strong practice of how we have a strong blend of both organic and paid marketing so that consumers can hear about us, that we're using our existing uh, uh, customer base as refers and, and as members and ambassadors of our, of our product. Um, and then really paid channels like Facebook, Instagram, and Google search are kind of closing the loop from that initial discussion that um, our organic channels create. And, and that allows us to really manage the cost per acquisition but because we focus so early on on building a strong retention behavior and really plugging in the holes that cause churn um, around product quality or delivery experience, we're now in a position where we can add fuel to the fire and mm. um, you know, really be able to keep those customers. And I think that's what I've always seen as a big issue in the past is that mm. you know, when people would you know, spend hundreds of dollars to buy a mattress and they'd say, don't worry, we're going to get this customer back. Well, <laughs> I- I'm getting a new mattress in five years. And in five years from now, maybe <laughs> another brand might be a bit you know, more appealing or have a new novelty angle or whatever it is, right? And I think mm. that's what's really key, right? Like we focus so much on like, you know, it, it, just understanding how do we get these customers to come back 
that once you've built that foundation, that's what really allows you to scale and, and not be so afraid with cost per acquisition going up. I think that's a very important point, you know, you mentioned because uh, there are many such brands which has focused on, you know, the, this sort of growth versus profit dichotomy wherein we will see later on, you know, how uh, how will sort of monetize the users and spending tons of millions and millions of dollars <laughs> in acquiring customer and who else better to ask than you? You have managed, you know, the Facebook spend over $100 million you mentioned. So what is the trick or what is the strategy for any other D2C company founder listing, you know? What should they do to have the most optimal way of spending their ad dollar over Facebook, Instagram? I mean, where is the sweet spot or what should what, what will be your, uh, how should I say, what will be your key takeaways or key points you have worked closely uh, within the system yeah yeah definitely I I think the the number one thing is to to try and keep things simple in the beginning I think early on everyone's always like I need the perfect packaging I need the perfect branding I need to pay this consultant or that like I'll tell you even until like literally a few months ago like we've been using very minimum viable product packaging because we wanted the product to speak for itself. We didn't want everything to be perfect when we started because our goal was really around, you know, if we can retain people and customers and build a community around our product and you know show the opportunity for it to grow if we were to fix our packaging or fix, you know, improve our web experience, then we know we have something. So for new entrepreneurs who are getting out there with direct-to-consumer businesses or consumer product business, really your goal is to think about you know acquiring customers in the most unscalable ways in the beginning. Like when we first started in in 2019, like myself and my co-founders would just go on Instagram with our own personal accounts and just search hashtag Toronto hashtag dogs because everyone who has a dog is posting about it on the internet. And we would DM you know direct message these people from our personal accounts and try and convince them. To, to, to buy our dog food without even a website, right? Like just seeing what really resonated with people and just having that unscalable approach. We got our first 30 customers. We learned a lot from that experience and we take those unscalable um, methods to learn, you know, here's this hypothesis of how we think consumers will like the product, right? And we thought, okay, talking about freshly cooked human-grade dog food is great because it as there's a lot of studies showing that it helps with dogs' lifespans. But when we actually talk to consumers, that wasn't at the top of their priority, right? The top of their priority was making an easy and enjoyable feeding experience as well as trusting and finding a trusted and healthy source for it. Um, so that was interesting and that helped shape our business. And having that unscalable approach in that beginning really helps the foundation of understanding who your consumers are and then allowing yourself to slowly start to increase things like adding paid acquisition into the mix or other types of marketing efforts that really start bringing in sales and customers for you. So we know what, what, what is the most difficult aspect in, uh, in running your business? That's a good question. I think uh, the trickiest thing always ends up being um, really around I think uh, the people aspect, right? So I, I think with people, it's always going to be the most important thing. It's the thing that I spend the most amount of time on. It's, I always think about how do I help empower my current team? Because, you know, no matter who we hire now or in the past, they're really, you know, being brought on for a role in the future, you know, because the company moves so fast that their role evolves and, and we really need to bring on 
um, key individuals who want to take advantage of that. But at the same time, it's really our responsibility to empower them. So, you know, we have mentors that we bring in from our personal network, from Facebook, TikTok to Google that come in, you know, um, mentor our data science hires uh, all the way to our operations team. And, you know, that's always top of mind of, you know, how do I keep empowering my team to be smarter, better, um, and in personally improve their own life. So not only on a work basis, but how do they manage like work-life balance? Because they're going to be spending most of their life working around in the world of dog food. So how do I make sure that their home life is manageable and that they create right balances and checks so that, you know, we don't have issues like burnout. And I think creating that culture is always like top of mind because that's really what's going to be important when we're bringing on new people to the team. When we're thinking about how do we convince an engineer to join us over Facebook or Google, um, you know, it's, it's really it's really tricky, right? Like on a face value, okay, do I work for a dog food company or do I work for a big tech giant? Uh, and I, I think the best way to really convince people is to show what that environment's like. And I think the experience my brother and I had working at some of these great companies and seeing how they develop that culture, the good and the bad, we've really been able to take that and understand that you know, this is our biggest priority and our biggest challenge is, you know, how do we not only instill this, but get our team to instill this and, and add to it? Because at a certain point, it's really your team who starts to take that foundation and build on it. And it's amazing and phenomenal to see some of the work that our team has done. Like, for instance, our, our fulfillment and logistics uh, uh, lead, Arishi, uh, you know, he uh, for, for, for December, he organized this like uh, team uh, Christmas holiday exchange, gift exchange. And it was with the entire operations team, the team that does all the pick and pack, the fulfillment associates, and and just did it on his own, right? And I love yeah. seeing that kind of stuff. And I think that's the the thing that I always think about in the back of my mind is that how do I find more uh, people like that? And how do I empower my team to do more things like that as well? I think that's a wonderful point because uh, ultimately as founders, as entrepreneurs, we can do limited things, right? And, yeah. and empowering your team uh, early on or at the right point whenever wherever the venture whatever stage you are at i think it's absolutely crucial because ultimately uh, uh, that is where you know true innovation happen that's where you know when you are at scaling uh, things really uh, the entire sort of the machinery works very well exactly i couldn't sort of better myself Yes. So, uh, so uh, we know you recently appeared on Dragon's Ten. So, how did that go? How does someone go on? How how is the process like? You know, how does it work? <laughs> I gotta say, it's probably one of the most fun things I've ever done. Um, and just as a plug for Dragon's Den, the applications are open now. Uh, and I highly suggest a lot of entrepreneurs <laughs> utilize tools like Dragon's Den or Shark Tank or or these types of opportunities where you can pitch to a large audience. Um, you know, I, I think originally it started because uh, I can't remember if we sent an uh, we sent an audition or maybe um, one of the producers reached out. Uh, but the Dragons Den team is, is actually a, a very active in the startup community. They're always kind of keeping tabs on new businesses coming up. And um, luckily, I was able to do an audition early on in in uh, I think it was January 2020. Uh, and then all of a sudden, obviously, the pandemic hits. And and when you do these auditions, it's primarily with the production team. Um, that's kind of casting for who's going to be on the show. And unfortunately, the ca the pandemic hits and then they were supposed to shoot and do all this stuff in April. And, you know, we were like, OK, this this project isn't going through. 
um, you know, this isn't going to be an opportunity we get. Uh, and, you know, randomly, and uh, I think it was, I can't remember the time, maybe it was July or August, uh, I get a call and they're like, hey, we've put this together. We've got, you know, normally they take months to shoot this, but this production team is phenomenal in what they've done in just a matter of weeks, brought everyone in, had to completely rehaul how you shoot an entire TV show, which I don't even know how you do that, but, and, and implementing COVID practices as, you know, really leaders in the space at that time when film and, and TV were getting back into it uh, and, you know, were able to bring us in. And it was a very nerve wracking experience, but my brother and I, when we were kind of in the waiting room, as we were waiting to pitch these dragons, uh, we were really focused on saying, you know, like, let's really think about how grateful this opportunity is and, and how, how much fun we should have. Because I think as an entrepreneur, whenever you're pitching, uh, either on Dragon's Den or if you're uh, talking um, to a potential new hire, you know, your goal is to have fun, right? Like you, your goal is not, you know, I think it's great to to share the vision and everything, but it's also to remember that, you know, you're doing this for the next some odd years of your life and, you know, enjoy these small moments because they only come once in a while. And, and that's really how we approached it. We went in there, like, let's have fun. And we had such a great time. And it was, I think, 40 minutes long and, and they typically like cut it down. And we just had so much fun. We We ended up having so many laughs with them, sharing so many conversations. And then uh, we actually ended up getting a few deals and it was, you know, overwhelming in terms of the level of support. And, and we ended up finding a great partner in, in Michelle Romano, who who runs ClearBank. And, and ClearBank really has a strong alignment with how e-commerce businesses are going to run in the future and, and how they're going to get financed and funded. And we thought that alignment was actually the reason we wanted to proceed with that deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a very wonderful point. You know, in terms of uh, as founders, we are always selling. So it's better to enjoy because you will be doing this a lot, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so how how was your experience post Let's Pick Up in terms of Dragon's Den? Like you saw some uptick in your numbers or it definitely puts you on a map, I, I, I assume, yeah? Yeah, definitely. Like if we go back to that objective of um, a consumer product company uh, trying to build trust with the consumers, like going on Dragons then definitely did that for us. So we, we knew there was going to be an uptick. And then we spoke to a few past um, uh, 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 people who've been on the show and uh, kind of tried to forecast or try and plan for it. But really, as as we started knowing that we could potentially be on the show, because even when you go on the day of the shoot, and 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 you record there's no guarantee that you'll end up on on the show at the end of the day so um you know we wanted to really prepare and they don't really give you notice either so it's kind of like the fun and the surprise of it all but at the same time it's nerve-wracking as a as a startup because we didn't have like the infrastructure in place so we spent a lot of time over the coming weeks like getting our technical infrastructure and our operational infrastructure expanded so we can take advantage of you know the millions of canadians that would be watching this show um, and it was a lot of preparation. And then from it, what we saw was like this extreme lift in terms of new customer growth. And it was, you know, somewhere I think about three times of what it was on average in previous month of new customer signups. And uh, I think our team did a phenomenal job. I don't know how, but phenomenal. A lot of countless hours getting ready to be able to support that and, and give that great experience. And, and ever since then, it's kind of added as, as this like rocket ship for us. Um, where we have this like cloud of trust that's being built from, you know, being on there and sharing our story and, and what we've done. Um, and, and now we're leveraging that and, and moving forward and, and kind of adding to that fuel, uh, adding to that fire with a bit more fuel 
uh, and you know really focusing over the next 12 months to, to to take over more of the Canadian market because what we've really been able to do in such a short period of time with things like Dragon's Den and some of the other work we've done is that uh, we've been able to get our message out to more Canadian dog owners and our goal is to continually do that and um, I gotta say that was a definitely a great springboard to jump off of to do it. <laughs> so, uh, how are you looking to fuel this uh, expansion? How, so, uh, how much capital have you raised till now, and do you plan to raise more capital soon? Yeah, so I think to date we've done about uh, four million uh, Canadian dollars in funding that we've raised, um, mm-hmm. and we you know closed that most recent round uh, closer towards the end of last year and. A lot of the the funds there are going to be used for more of that product development. So as I mentioned, we've been using um, this opportunity with our subscribers to add more products throughout their mix and see, um, you know, how they resonate towards functional and and novel solutions. Um, The other side as well is definitely on the team and hiring. So we've been very nimble team. We still plan to be a nimble team, but I think it's starting to bring on more key individuals to help us really establish our infrastructure for a larger scale, you know, over the Coming year, we see ourselves growing anywhere from, you know, four to five X based on mm-hmm. the trajectory that we've seen. So a lot of that requires us to start thinking further I, in advance, where in the earlier days, it's very, you know, just be nimble and, and move fast and, and, and stitch together solutions. And do you do you plan to tap into adjacency? So, for example, um, you're launching new products, uh, different dishes, right? Uh, but in terms of uh, other SKUs, for, for example, sweaters, dog items, toys, etc. Do you plan to do that anytime soon or what's your thought process on that? Probably not anytime soon. I think our focus, like the way we like to think about it is that there has to be a level of focus to the product development and and really we see ourselves as a food engine. So if if we can take the systems that we've built operationally around creating food-based solutions or, or even fun food-based um, experiences like our doggy ice cream, then that's really within our wheelhouse and that really allows us to operate fast and learn from it. I think in the future where it gets interesting is when we start to think about building out our data foundation and our modeling um, and the key pipelines that allow us to test those things. Um, that's, you know, a definite possibility in the longer term future as we look at things like, um, you know, the way people manage pet health when it comes to the, reaching out to veterinarians or um, how they look at um, even things like grooming their dog or other day-to-day aspects that occur, right? And, you know, the better data foundation we have, the more predictable we can be in terms of providing those recommendations at the right place and right time. Uh, but in order to to really stay focused and ensure that capital is being used efficiently, we, we like mm-hmm. to stay towards the world of, of food and edible items. And in terms of market, do you plan to focus solely on Canada or you plan to go international also? Yeah, I, th- I think at the end of the day, we do see ourselves as uh, an opportunity for a global business. Um, I think going back to the focus opportunity, there's just a great op- there's just a great uh, landscape for us to look at Canada as as our home base, as our evergreen market, and as our opportunity to truly build a playbook from you know the production to all the supply chain aspects and the customer experience. Because I always joke about this, saying that you know, if you want to start an e-com business, Canada is probably one of the non-fiscally responsible places to do it because you know we have a population that's smaller than california or like (laughs) one of the largest countries in the world and everyone's already socially distancing before covid because their population (laughs) spread out across this large landmass so think about how hard it is to ship and reach these customers but because we've been able to do it so well and the reason we focused on is that we can build a playbook and be able to bring it out to an international market because 
the you know two interesting aspects about this is that if you look at some of the top global um, pet food manufacturers in the world, uh, the top 15, there's a handful of them that come from Canada. And it's because this country has this great agricultural infrastructure uh, that, you know, we don't have to outsource to, a, you know, a different country in the future. And I saw that a lot when you were like making a luggage or a mattress or these commodities that other countries like, for instance, China would be better uh, suited mm. to do. And, and no mm. matter what, that, that, that infrastructure would have to move. So when we looked at pet food, we saw Canada as this great opportunity to create a base and learning and playbook from and go global. And then on the second aspect of it, what was interesting was just seeing that the humanization and westernization of pets has always been siloed to the you know North American mentality. It's always been U.S., Canada, U.K. But the truth is, and, and you know you see this in places like Bangalore, um, New Delhi, Mumbai, uh, Tokyo, Seoul, uh, even in Philippines, um, uh, Indonesia, and Malaysia, where middle-income households have really grown a lot over the last five to ten years are now getting into this premiumization of pets, right? And mm. that, I think, is the greater opportunity when you look at a country like India that has, like, shipping logistics that's light years ahead of, like, the U.S. and Canada and the U.K., well, that allows us to come and take our playbook from a country that doesn't have as great shipping logistics and operate faster and, and take our learnings and apply it to, uh, you know, regions in India where we start to see, for instance, a, a growth in, in pet premiumization. So as we kind of really focus over the short term to, to master, you know, the, the domination or, or the market share grab that we're focusing on in Canada, you know, the real piece and learnings that we take is to start thinking, how does it come and apply in a global sense to other markets that um, really have the not only the trends that are moving in the right direction, but as well as the fundamental um, components that allow us to, to scale a business. Oh, yes, definitely. I will. Uh, I think I'll definitely look forward for your expansion in India, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would love it. And uh, essentially, when travel's back, it gives me an excuse to, to, to go back to India as well, which uh, I've been craving for for a while. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. Vino, I think it was wonderful talking to you. Just to wrap it up, I like to ask my one of my favorite questions. Seeing, uh, you know, you have been running your business, uh, for quite some time now, seeing uh, what you have achieved till now, if you were to start again, what would you have done differently? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. I think um, the the hard part about you know always looking back is that there's always a lot of stuff you would have done differently. But for the most part, I think I wouldn't change anything just because we've learned a lot. But one of the key takeaways I would look at and do differently, especially in the early days when we were first trying to. Um, you know, do our proof of concept or even just get a website out and, and get our first customers was that um, I had initial conversations with a lot of investors. And I, I think, you know, not listening to everyone verbatim and especially investors, just because you think you need the, the money and just because you think you need all these things, um, you know, you start to listen to advice too uh, directly and, and that can change the tra trajectory of your business, right? I think the advice that you need to listen to is your own instinct and your customers. And early on, you know, um, I had an investor who was like, okay, you need to get a co-manufacturing contract or you need to get these things and then maybe we'll do a deal. And I found that that was just very distracting. Um, and, you know, I think that that's something I would have definitely done differently is like not really change our trajectory early on when we were starting the business to appease to a certain individual or an investor or, or money. And then on the other side, I think, you know, when I think about it, I, like the, the opportunity around advancing your team's personal skill set should be on the top priority, right? So anything from like 
mental health balance checks to even how do you help you know early stage founders become better people managers because you know 12 months down the road if things go well now you're going to be managing a team and understanding how to delegate so the other learning would just definitely be earlier on just pushing um you know our our, our early team to really focus on things like personal development and building strong habits that allow them to adapt towards like really the fast paced changing environment that you know makes it easier for them to enjoy the experience as well as um, uh, adapt towards the business needs and their personal needs. I think um, uh, these were very excellent points. And just to add on top of it, in terms of the second point you mentioned, uh, it's a diff- it's a completely different skill set from scaling your startup from zero to one and one to 10, right? Uh, you mm-hmm. have to know the art of delegation and there are many more things which comes into the picture. And, <laughs> yeah. and, I, couldn't, and I couldn't agree more, you know, the, uh, the first point we, which you mentioned. Uh, if you go to an investor early on, there are certain expectations, you know, you can, uh, because investor doesn't know the context, right? In which you are mm-hmm. and it can lead to many diversions. And uh, I think uh, it's an it's an important learning and many founders have learned through the hard way, but I'm glad you brought this up. I hope it will be helpful to the listeners for sure. Uh, you have to stick it, you know, you have to stick to your gut mm-hmm. you because as a founder you better know the context and everything and ultimately for an investor uh, investor community they work on a different scale different objectives and mm-hmm. for everyone they will be different matrices which they will be looking at uh, so i think uh, excellent points you know yeah yeah I, I agree and and you said it best i think it's like in the early days it's it's you yourself and I and uh, you just gotta trust yourself a lot more and it's hard to say that right like I don't think um, ha- having confidence and being able to build it, it's a very difficult thing but you know if it's anything I've learned from listening to your podcast and and hearing all the different advice that people are giving it's it's that is the thing that va- that you should value the most out of yourself in the early days. Absolutely, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much, Fino, for your time. It was great talking to you uh, and I'm. Very sure the listeners will definitely enjoy this podcast. A lot of learning uh, which took place. I, I, and I also got to learn many, many new things and especially the Canadian market and how things are shaping up. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, anytime I can share any uh, advice or feedback or learnings, I'm, I'm always here to help. And if anyone listening wants to reach out, you know, whether it's LinkedIn or the, anywhere on the internet, you know, people know how to find each other. So uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure, I'll make sure to share my information so they could see it. And then, um, yeah, I, I agree. And hopefully as well, talking to you, I've convinced you to eventually get a dog for yourself too. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Very soon. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Uh, We will be back with more interesting episodes soon. Stay tuned.